all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. I hope this finds you well today. I've been a little bit more on the move since I spoke to you last as I traveled for the first time since December. I was in Austin, Texas, leading worship for the IF gathering, and I'm wondering if many of you were able to live stream in or maybe even attend an IF local. I hope so. It was such a beautiful time together. This was the fifth year for the IF gathering, and I've loved getting to see it grow from the very beginning. It's been really special. It was the first time I had sung since this hearing loss thing happened to me, and it was also the first time that I put in my in-ear monitors in my ear, which is how I actually hear the band and my vocal. So I was really having to trust God through all of that, and also just the fact that I was getting on an airplane. I wore those earplugs that you can get at a pharmacy. And I will say, I really do feel like they did their job. My ears stayed pretty stable on both flights. So there's that. But it could have also been because I had so many people praying for me and I'm so incredibly grateful for that. And I literally couldn't have done it without all of your prayers. So thank you. I was pleasantly surprised that God really did show up as far as my ears were concerned and me leading. I felt myself, if that makes sense, as I was leading. And I was really so grateful for that. We had a couple of early, early mornings. And one of those mornings, Nathan and I had only gotten about two hours of sleep. So that was fun. Both nights, actually, until about 3 a.m., we could hear sort of the low end of a party somewhere. And all I could think of was that late 90s Saturday Night Live skit with Chris Kattan and Will Ferrell where they wore those horrible rayon suits and they just bobbed their heads to that song, What is Love? I'm bobbing my head right now, but you can't see me. (laughs) But one of those nights, the party and it's not funny, it extended way beyond 3 a.m., and it happened to be happening in the hotel room that we shared a wall with. At first, we heard screaming, and I mean like we're having fun on a roller coaster type screaming. This was not like I'm an in trouble scream. And we were just like, okay, maybe some of the if ladies, you know, they're just having fun. They're telling stories till 3 a.m., But then when their door was just opening and closing and slamming about every five minutes, no joke, it kind of took a turn, a really bad turn, actually. Nathan finally had to call the front desk to ask them to please come up and ask these people to hold it down because it was three o'clock in the morning. We heard the security guard come up and give them a warning. And so right about then, Nathan got up because he could hear everything that was going on. He looked through the peephole, and he definitely saw some characters coming out of there that let us know that this was definitely not an if-gathering party, if that tells you anything. It also let us know that something was going on in there that was a bit over our heads in terms of trying to interfere in any way. And after the warning, they decided to let us have it for calling security on them, I guess. So more of the roller coaster yelling and then banging on our walls, you name it. So we called again. Security comes up a second time, and this time they wouldn't answer the door. So he warns them. They don't answer, and he says, okay, I'm going to bring up the police if you don't come to this door. A few minutes pass. He leaves. It's kind of quiet. Maybe 15 minutes pass, and I was right at that place of dozing off, like finally going to get some rest. And here comes the police knocking at the door with this open up. This is the APD. Then no answer. 
And so Nathan and I are just sitting there like super still in our bed. And we're listening while the police literally had to raid this hotel room next to us. And we could tell that they were sadly hiding in the bathroom because we could hear them knocking on that door and talking to them. This is, I guess, maybe how thin the walls are. I don't know. By this time, it was about 4.30 in the morning. Sadly, we're pretty sure that everyone was actually probably arrested from there as much as we could hear. And the next morning, Nathan saw the manager who really did handle the matter so promptly and seriously. We were very impressed, actually, how she handled it. But she thanked Nathan for reporting it because she said it had actually escalated into something really serious. But after that whole thing went down and we were laying there, you know, it's about 4.30 in the morning, I was just trying to doze off to get maybe two hours of sleep at that point before my alarm went off. And I was struck so much by just the presence of such light and darkness all in one space. The contrast was so strikingly clear of the hope that we hold out and the light that we bear in dark places. I thought about them all through the next day because the police put a do not disturb sign on that door for the remainder of our time there. And their door was like right by our door. So it was just a bit sobering. But it was so good also to remember that this is why we gather. My sweet friend, Rebecca Lyons, preached so well at IF. She led us in remembering that we need spiritual mothers and that we need to be those spiritual mothers as well, to take in young women, to intersect their lives at just the right moment. And I pray that even those women who kept us up all night, that somehow even in getting caught, that God would use it as a moment that He intersects their lives. Sometimes it's in that rock bottom place, right, that He can bring someone into our lives to walk alongside us and walk us through finding hope and healing. So needless to say, if gathering for me was eventful and beautiful, and it was just a time of being reminded that I'm not alone in this work of bringing the kingdom of God to earth. We truly are in this together, even though the enemy can really begin to make us feel like we're isolated and alone. And it also turns out that many of us are beat down and weary at the same time. I'm not the only one dealing with physical things, not to mention other things that are just hard that may not be physical, but are just as challenging. And I was just so thankful to remember that I'm not persevering alone. We persevere together. And my goodness, there are just some fierce women of God out there who are loving their families and leading in their communities so well. And it's just so encouraging to get to hear from them and learn from what God is doing through them, some of them in the midst of extreme loss and hardship. I'm always so astounded and really encouraged by people and especially women who have a humble authority about them. There's just something so fierce about that to me. It's fierce because to have authority, I believe in a biblical sense, really just means that you have walked through what you're spurring others on in. You've experienced it firsthand. You've been held up to the fire. You've lived it. And God has healed something in you. And you've been in the battle yourself, but God has won that war for you. And I think that's when the humility comes in. Even in spite of all that you've been through, there's this clear lack of bitterness or judgment, but instead there's this crown of humility because you know where you'd be if it weren't for Jesus. I believe this is when something truly gets imparted through you. That's really life-changing. And I got to see a lot of that, and it inspired me greatly. It set a fire back in my soul in many ways. 
And since I've been home, I've been busy preparing my heart and my home to go on a little tour with my friend, Jenny Allen. Jenny and I will be out on the Freedom Project Tour in partnership with IJM in the Noonday Collection. We'll be headed out the 21st of February. So depending on when you're listening to this, please come out and see us. I know that many of the dates are starting to fill up, so don't wait. We'd love to see you out there. We're headed to the West Coast first, and we could not be more excited to come together and worship and just talk face-to-face about what it looks like to live in this life that Jesus truly offers to us, the freedom that He gave everything for for us to live in. And I always say that something really powerful happens when women come together to worship. It's almost visible what happens. And I believe that because we do carry so much as women, we have all these different roles that are attached to our everyday lives. We are wife, we're mother, we're sister, daughter, friend, mentor. And then there's teacher, housekeeper, accountant, basically COO of our entire family. (laughs) And whatever else comes along with just your daily life and responsibilities, with work and calling. It's just powerful when we come into the presence of God and we surrender those things. God shows up in a really powerful way when we're all willing to really lay all of that down. I've seen it so many times that He comes and He brings such fulfillment on a deeper level, bypassing our intellect and our everyday how-to And He goes straight to our soul, and He does a work that literally only He can do. This is going to be a very special time, so grab your friends and plan on joining us. There's going to be teaching and worship, and you'll even hear some lullabies from my new album, Be Held, Lullabies for the Beloved. And these lullabies weren't just made for children. They were made for all of us. And it's going to be a really sweet time to just talk about what it looks like to really live in freedom in this life that Jesus went to great links for us to live in. Anyway, we're going to jump right in today with the second heart posture to recap a little bit. Last time we talked about the importance of a cleansed heart then becoming a consecrated heart. That's our first posture, the consecrated heart or fully surrendered heart. We talked about faith and the role it plays in us surrendering fully and believing that God does exist and that He does reward those who seek Him with their whole heart. I told you about my recent battle with sudden sensory neural hearing loss and how that has been such a journey of faith for me and how God has used it so much to keep my heart in a place of really utter dependence upon Him. I do have an update on that. This week, I went in for a hearing test, and it actually revealed significant improvement on my left side. In fact, I'm testing in normal range in that ear, and I really am overjoyed and sort of taken back by the progress, honestly. So I know that the prayers have worked. God has moved, and I am so beside myself. My right ear has actually been a little bit symptomatic lately, but my hearing was in enough of a normal range in that ear that we're just kind of going to watch it with my neuro ENT, and we're going to just work on it. I'm working with a chiropractor, kind of just trying to hit it from all sides as best we can. I was definitely in tears on the way home, thanking God for His healing hand in all of this. I don't know if you're like this, but I found myself being afraid almost to rejoice, to just receive it, to celebrate the good news. But when I find myself with what looks like a microscopic party horn over in the corner, just like barely making noise, I have to pause and ask God what that's about. 
And I ask him to help me with it on my way home. That's fear, I think, and just the tendency to hold back and put a wall up to protect my heart. So I confessed that fear to him, and I thanked him for walking so closely with me through this. And later on, as I talked to him more about it in the bathtub, of course, (laughs) I thanked him that there's been healing, but I also thanked him that there's been a lingering of it as well. And the lingering of it keeps me keenly aware of my dependency upon Him through it all. I think if He had healed it quickly in just one big swoop, maybe I would too quickly just forget how much I need Him. In fact, I know me. And so I'm actually able to be thankful even in the lingering. So there's already been so much fruit that's come from this journey. It's caused me to address some things that I probably wouldn't have, like I said, knowing me. And I believe it's going to make me stronger. And one of the main things that God has convicted me about is my stress level. Yes, Miss Bullseye herself, living from a place of rest and being God's beloved. Yes, I still have seasons where I let stress get out of hand. And this past December, I'm going to admit to you, was one of them. With all that we had going on, it was just so interesting because I wasn't consciously thinking about things that would stress me out. I wasn't spending a whole lot of time in my mind worrying about those things. But what I didn't realize what I was doing was that I was pressing through and kind of charging forward and actually probably stuffing some things a bit down (laughs) that I wasn't dealing with in terms of fear and worry and just the scheduling of it all, my kids, just life, making sure they were okay. And all of that physically, I have to tell you, settles in my neck. And this is, this is where I carry all of my tension. You probably have places in your body that you carry tension to. Mine is my neck. And of course, it causes all kinds of problems, even possibly contributing to this hearing loss thing. We're not sure of the cause, but I do believe that it's all connected. And it does cause my body to literally lock up in some ways that are pretty significant, I'm finding. I had to laugh at the if gathering at the beginning of Chris Kane's talk. She had all of us stand up and do, you know, the classic rub the shoulders of the person next to you thing. And sweet little Sadie Robertson happened to be sitting on my right. So she had to rub my shoulders, bless her heart. And she immediately was like, oh my gosh, you have so many knots. (laughs) I wanted to turn around and be like, girl, if you only knew... But as I've been able to really get back into a normal routine, I've noticed that the more I move, the better I feel. And I was at the chiropractor yesterday, and he said right before I left, now go take a walk and let that adjustment settle in. He said, remember that movement is healing. Honestly, I'd never heard anyone say it quite like that before. I mean, I knew that our bodies were made to move, but I think I had the mental note that like when something's wounded, you just like baby it, you protect it, you you stay still, you favor it. But then I started thinking back on my surgeries that I've had. They actually want you up and moving way before you feel ready. I remember after my first C-section, And they came in the next morning and said, okay, we're going to need to get up and walk. And I was literally looking at them like, you have got to be kidding me. But lo and behold, I did it. I didn't know how I possibly could get up and do it, but I did it. I got through it. And each time I did it, it was easier. 
So yesterday was this beautiful day here in the Nashville area, and it felt way more like spring than winter. So I did take that little walk. Their office is right by my Whole Foods, so I just ventured down there. I picked up a few things for home, and I just had a little bit of a spring in my step as I went and as I came back. And I just prayed while I did that, that God would keep bringing healing over my physical body so that I would be strong in order to have capacity for His kingdom. I love how the Holy Spirit works in the middle of our mundane because later when I got home, I was working around the house, but I knew that my online coaching was coming up in a few hours. So I asked the Holy Spirit what He had for these women. This is a group of worship leader women that I get to mentor through a thing called Worship Circle that I'm a part of. And immediately those words came back to me, movement is healing. And I was like, Okay, Lord. So I began to jot down all the ways that that can apply to us spiritually. Immediately, I thought about the concentric circles that I've talked about so many times on this podcast. And then I thought of these heart postures. And it made me think, if movement is healing, we were made to move out from this place of being beloved and into this world as the beloved of God to bring His kingdom to earth like it is in heaven. We weren't made to stay in the bullseye, but instead continually emerge from it and then come back to it. Do we need to return there several times a day? Yes. How do we do that? Through remembrance. We've talked about that before. How do we remember? Well, one of the main ways, the easiest way is through the Word of God. It's the renewing of our minds, right? But all in all, we were made to move from there and respond to God from that place and respond to others from that place and ultimately do life from that place. If you think about it, though, it's so much easier for us to live in extremes, right? We can grow stagnant as an extreme, meaning that we maybe hide, we become immobile, We get stiff, and the vibrancy of our hearts can begin to fade when we're not moving and being in this world with the vibrancy of Jesus that's in us. Then there's the extreme of just overdoing it, right? We can put strain on a muscle when we work or strive too hard. It's the same with our lives and our hearts. When we strive and strain, we become exhausted, and some of us literally done in. We were made to move back and forth with this ebb and flow that's way less extreme, just more of a steady rhythm that keeps us going back to God for our identity. And then we emerge from that place to participate in the things that He's prepared for us. You know, when I first had this ear thing going on, I have to say, I was sad. And I had actually a lot of friends who were like, I'm mad. They're mad at the enemy pressing in in this way. And I was most sad, I think, because I wanted to be healthy, to do more, and to bring the kingdom of God to earth like I'm supposed to. I know that's what many of you think sometimes when you're dealing with physical things, especially that just hold you back. You're just like, all I want to do is more good. I just want to be strong for kingdom things. I call it having kingdom capacity. And Jesus did say, Seek first the kingdom of God, and basically everything else will be taken care of. So I want to be about that, and I know you do too. Well, as I've said before, there's a way that we can posture ourselves before God in order to have kingdom capacity from a place of, I like to say, just getting in the yoke with Jesus, taking on His way of life, like He says in the book of Matthew. And today in our worship circle, Jeremy Riddle is one of the coaches He was teaching and he said something really beautiful about surrendering our desires 
and our longings, especially to be a part of things in the kingdom of God. He was referring to like, you know, writing songs and leading songs. But he was talking about that surrender of the things that we want to be about and how when we do that and we surrender that, we give that to Jesus, we're still allowed to dream those things. But now it's more of this beautiful partnership with Jesus. And I love that because I've experienced it. So I'll say this, having a kingdom heart and doing kingdom things is like that. It just becomes this partnership with you and Jesus. And it's less about doing for Him, like I talked about in the last podcast. And it's more about doing from Him and with Him. It's something that begins to feel more like an invitation than it does a mandate. My favorite definition of the kingdom of God that I've ever read or come across is from this book called Gospel Identity, which I've taken some girls through this before. I might have read this before, but I wanted you to hear this. It says, the kingdom of God is about the renewing of all things, about the reconciliation of relationships, about the restoration of justice and equality, about freedom from every Lord except Jesus, about forgiveness, and about the defeat of Satan. It is about the compassion for the poor and powerless and about helping those who are marginalized and rejected by society and using our gifts and resources for the advancement of others. It is about new communities and the transformation of society and culture. For Paul to preach the gospel is to preach the kingdom and therefore to preach the whole counsel of God. Do you want to be about those things? I know you do, and so do I. I would imagine that some of you, that keeps you up at night, some of those things, and you want to have capacity for those things. I don't know about you, but not only do I want to have capacity, but I want to have longevity and being able to bring about His kingdom to earth, like as long as I'm here. So just like there's a way that we need to move our physical bodies to bring health to them, we need to move our hearts to do the same. Think about it. Is there a resting that comes after we exercise? Yes. Just like there's a normal pace we have to life that doesn't feel like aerobic exercise, thankfully, (laughs) but it's still movement, right? We talked last time, as I mentioned, about the consecrated heart, and it could fit in that bullseye that I talk about a lot. It's this foundational pausing point, a yielding of our hearts, if you will, that's vital for life itself. And I told you about how the consecrated heart would pave a way in a very natural way to begin to posture our hearts for more. So part of that more is the second posture, which is the heart that looks up. It sounds too simple, right? (laughs) The consecrated heart looks up to God day after day, sometimes many times a day. One of my favorite books is The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. In the chapter called The Gaze of the Soul, he points out that many times in Scripture that to look upon God was synonymous with believing on God or to depend on Him. And here's just a few scriptures that I love about just looking up to God. Psalm 34, 5 says, They looked to Him and were radiant. Their faces will never blush in shame or confusion. And then there's Psalm 123, 1 and 2. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid servant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till He has mercy upon us. 
And even Jesus modeled this over and over when he walked this earth as he continued to look to his father. John 5, 19 through 21, it says, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. That means he's looking up because whatever the father does, the son also does. He makes it clear to us that his eyes are looking upon his father. So we look up. What do we look to him for? Hebrews 12, 2 says that we look unto Jesus as the author and the finisher of our faith. So I think about it like this. If the consecrated heart is that stake in the ground of our faith, believing God exists and then he rewards those who seek him, then the heart that looks up is the heart that looks to Jesus to carry out that faith in us and through us until we're finished here. It sounds kind of funny, but I think one of the most important things that us looking to God says to God about us is that we want Him to look upon us. I'm not talking about like a conceited posture that's like, look at me, look at me. I'm talking about a posture that says, here's my soul. Have a good look at it. I offer it to you. So us looking to God says, no other eyes on me matter more than your eyes on me. We look up as if to say, your opinion is all that matters to me. I've always heard that the word intimacy can be said like, into me see. This is one of the first steps to posture ourselves to move towards God for a relationship that's unlike anything else we've ever experienced. David so beautifully illustrates this in Psalm 38, 9, when he said, All my longings lie open before you. Even my sighing is not hidden from you. Here's all of me just lying here open before you, God, and you can even see the little sighs at the end of the day that represent all the things. So here's all of me, God. I look to you for you to look at all of this and for you to tell me what you think. Does God already see it all? Yes, but how much do you think He loves it when we lay it out willingly before Him, asking His eyes to be upon it? asking Him what He thinks. I think what we also look up for is that there's just these God needs that we have that are only fulfillable by Him. I'm not sure if that's a word, fulfillable. All of a sudden, it sounds really weird. (laughs) But there truly is this God-shaped hole in us. I remember meeting with my friend, Michelle York, many years ago, and we were talking about women's ministry. And she mentioned, you know, for so many women, it's just so hard to know what to do with all the longing It's so true, isn't it? Sometimes it's overwhelming. What are we doing with all the longing that we have? There's so many things we can throw at it, right? Lots of things we can try to stuff down in it. But ultimately, it's this insatiable need that can ultimately only be filled by God and His gaze upon our soul. Psalm 107.9 says, He satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul He fills with good things. I remember reading Stacey Eldridge's book, Captivating, so many years ago, and I loved it so much. One of the things that she talked about was one of the main lies of the enemy to women in particular is that we are too much and not enough all at the same time. I would imagine that many of us have thought this at one time or another or believe that. I know I have. And based on the relationships around us, this kind of lie can actually just start to shut us down. It can even cause other people to misunderstand us. But the truth is, is that we look up today 
to a God that promises that He is enough for all of who we are. He can handle us. I've told you this before, but I'll never forget finally realizing this in my marriage, that Nathan couldn't and was never supposed to fulfill these God needs in me. So bless Nathan for the first seven or eight years of our marriage that I was basically a big needy basket case. (laughs) Thankfully, he stuck it out long enough for me to figure out that only God and God alone could satisfy all the longing. Many of you know exactly what I'm getting ready to say. Those of you who have been maybe married for a minute, but hopefully what I'm about to say for those of you who haven't gotten married yet, it will just kind of save you some days or years. (laughs) Once I realized that I needed to posture my heart to look up to God for those things and to let God look upon me, it changed everything. I no longer needed to be a basket case around Nathan, someone just kind of waiting around, hoping he would read my mind about this or that. Instead, I began to look up to God, to gaze upon Him with belief that I was indeed who He says I was, because He was indeed who He says He is. And I began to emerge from those times a different person, fulfilled and loved. And what did this give me? Capacity. Capacity to see Nathan and to look at him with different eyes. It gave me capacity for my kids to love them out of this place of me believing I was loved and seen by God. You might have remembered me saying that I fought Nathan those first several years just to kind of try to find my voice. And there's definitely merit, I would say, to finding your voice with the people in your life, especially your husband. But what I found is that in looking to God, His voice began to matter the most, even more than my own and more than anyone else's voice. And I found my voice with Him. It was a place that I could hash things out and really be honest. And I figured out that He could handle it more than anyone else could. And because of that, my argumentative spirit began to pipe down. A humility began to emerge. A listening ear and a listening heart formed in me, and it helped me to begin to see the people in my life as a gift rather than what they could do for me or fulfill in me. And are there needs that a husband can fulfill? Absolutely. But I believe the most joy and fulfillment comes with that when we first looked up. It also gave me a capacity for kingdom, for the things that I love and want to be a part of in partnership with Jesus. I could look beyond my needs, finally, knowing that they were going to get met, and I could actually see the needs of others, maybe for the first time. Having a heart that looks up can become a constant motion for us, a part of our daily life that's like an instinct. In the Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer that I was telling you about, in that same chapter where he's telling us that looking upon God is the same thing as believing. He says, Believing, then, is directing the heart's attention to Jesus. It is lifting the mind to behold the Lamb of God and never ceasing that beholding for the rest of our lives. At first, this may be difficult, but it becomes easier as we look steadily at His wondrous person, quietly and without strain, Distractions may hinder, but once the heart is committed to Him, after each brief excursion away from Him, the attention will return again and rest upon Him like a wandering bird coming back to its window. God takes this intention for our choice and makes what allowances He must for the thousand distractions which beset us in this evil world. 
He knows that we have set the direction of our hearts towards Jesus, and we can know it too and comfort ourselves with the knowledge that a habit of soul is forming, which will become, after a while, a sort of spiritual reflex requiring no more conscious effort on our part. So this becomes a part of our daily motion. Movement is healing. This becomes a daily spiritual reflex of the consecrated heart to look up. To look up, we stay engaged. We stay conversing with God. We're caught up in what He thinks, and we're becoming whole and healed in it, healed up to have capacity for more. Tozer also said in that same chapter, it would be like God to make the most vital thing easy and place it within the range of possibility for the weakest and poorest of us. How beautiful is that? That the most vital thing we need is ready and available to us right now. He even goes as far as saying that looking is of the heart and can be done successfully by anyone standing up or kneeling down or lying in their last agony a thousand miles away from any church. Since believing is looking, it can be done anytime. I'll say this, when Tozer wrote this book, there was no internet, no cell phones or Instagram. So there's that. (laughs) I think God did intend, though, for it to have a simplicity to it. But sometimes we might need to clear the view, right? We live in a time where we can literally see everything. So it's going to take us clearing the way for us to look upon God. We're going to have to make room in our hearts and in our line of vision to just truly see Him, looking upon who He is and resting our hearts upon who He is. I remember there was a time that I took over three months away from social media. It might have even been more. I know it was at least three months. I know that seems extreme, but it's what I needed to do to clear the view in my life. To avoid getting to that point, I try to just kind of take a Sabbath from it several times a week. You probably notice I just I don't post every day, and it's just what I need to do. Some of you might need to put away something else. You might need to put down the remote or the thesis that you've been laboring over and just look up. Look to Him. Invite Him into it. He might want to speak into your thesis today. Have you invited Him to speak into what you're laboring over God's Word says in John 10 that His sheep know His voice, and sometimes it just takes the habit of looking up over and over, and then suddenly we begin to realize that we can actually hear from Him too. Sometimes we can also just get tunnel vision, right? Even doing things for God, we can get so wrapped up in the what that we forget about the who. Sometimes it just takes that simple movement of lifting our head from the path we are blazing down and conversing with this God who made us and loves us. The simplicity of learning to look up is the glorious and the mundane at its finest. For about nine years, I drove this black Honda Odyssey. I loved that van so much. In fact, if you have a minivan, just own it, okay? You're the most blessed person in the world to be driving it, so just rock that van. You will totally miss it one day. I was actually genuinely sad and kind of like sat at the steering wheel (laughs) for a pretty long time before I could part with it because it became my sanctuary for a season of my life, a place where the eyes of my heart looked upon Jesus regularly at stoplights and carpool lines and Chick-fil-A drive-thrus. It was there that I had this hidden communion with God, just gazing at Him with my soul over and over 
knowing deep within me that this is where I could find real life. And my life is, and was especially in that particular season, completely saturated with all things church and Christians, even professional Christians. But yet here I was in my minivan, tears streaming down my face, laying all of my longings out before the Lord, all over again, every day, moving towards His heart with my heart, confident He'd meet me there again, and knowing that nothing else satisfied me like He did. Let me be clear to say that sometimes we do need a sabbatical of stillness. We need those times like January was for me, like I said, just those days where we literally have to lay there and watch the snowfall. But we must take that time to rest. But isn't it beautiful to think that when it is time to start moving again, that we emerge from such a rest. We emerge from that stillness, that pause of our heart and our soul, and we move towards all God has for us and movement is healing for us today. In the next episode, we'll talk about all that we stand to gain because a heart that looks up positions itself to receive. Our patrons of the podcast through Patreon, remember that you have journal prompts for this episode. Today, we'll talk through how to find out what your God needs are, how to be aware of what you need from Him and how it kind of informs what you're looking for in others. So be sure to check that out. If you'd like to support this podcast monthly, it is a huge blessing to us. You get the podcast before the rest of the world, as well as other perks along the way. You can find out about that on patreon.com slash Christy Knuckles. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Christy Knuckles. I loved getting to meet one of our patrons named Molly from Denver at If Gathering. Molly, I loved getting to meet you and chatting with you. So I just wanted to give you a little shout out. Thank you so much, all of you for listening today. Be sure to check out the tour dates if you live out West, especially as Jenny and I are headed your way very soon. You can find all of those on my website at christyknuckles.com. I hope to see you there. I'll talk to you soon.